We have the privilege tonight of hearing the word from uh, Reverend Dr. Brandon Crow. He's a professor of New Testament at Westminster Seminary and known to many of you. He's preached here for us before. And I'm confident that you'll be blessed as he brings the word to us. We're grateful that he's come. Well, good evening. Good to be with you. If you have a Bible and would like to turn there, we're going to look at James chapter 1. We're going to look particularly at verse 12, but we will look, uh, we will read verses 2 to 12. James 1, verses 2 to 12. This is God's Word. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truthfulness of it. We thank you that it is a bedrock of our faith, and we thank you for our Savior, whom we meet in these verses and throughout the Scripture. Would you help us now to fix our eyes on him as we listen to what you would have us hear in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my kids have a hamster, and surprisingly, this hamster likes to get on a wheel and run nowhere. Uh, It's surprising to me that the hamster hasn't figured it out yet. Uh, But if you you live life that way as though you're just running in a circle, there's a reason that's proverbial. It can be discouraging, and it's it's difficult sometimes to put one foot in front of the other. You can contrast that with a race. If you're running a race, and maybe some of you have done this in some form or fashion, it's amazing how much more energy you can find whenever you see the finish line. There's just a little bit more you can pull out to go further and further. And sometimes we even do things like have virtual races today, which is not even a real race, but it still motivates you to get something done because there's a goal at the end of the process. Now, this passage in James, like so many other passages in the Bible, gives us a vision of the goal that lies before us as Christians as we think through uh, how do we live in the midst of of a difficult world when difficult things happen How do we continue to move forward with encouragement? In this text, James lays out the prospect of an eternal reward. But he also knows that the path to that reward, as we live in a fallen world, will be difficult. Now, he doesn't teach that we earn the reward. Of course not. But but he encourages us to persevere in faithfulness to God's word because Jesus has gone before us. And his reward for those who love him is worth the difficulties of this age. And so this evening we're primarily going to look at verse 12. 
I want to dig down into this text and consider it from three angles with you. So first of all, this verse teaches us that the life of blessing is the life of faith in God's Word. The life of blessing is the life of faith in God's Word. Now, blessing is a biblical term that you're familiar with most likely, and yet it can be one of those terms that we pass over really quickly. So let's pause here and consider again, what does it mean when we hear the word blessing? It means more than just, how are you? It's about, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a way of describing the goodness of listening to God's word. It is a, a word that communicates the blessing of God's own presence in fellowship with God. It communicates to those who, like Psalm 1, listen to the law of God, the word of God, and not the voices of this world, not the sentiments of scoffers. Those who delight in God's word and who follow it. And Jesus speaks about this in a similar way in the Beatitudes, when he speaks about the blessings of those who listen to his word and who pursue holiness over worldliness. And yet there's another angle as well to blessing. Because one of the things we find in the law of Moses, in fact, the last recorded words of Moses are about the blessings of the redeemed. Deuteronomy 33, 29. He speaks about the, the blessings of those who are redeemed by God. You see the same thing in Psalm chapter 2. The one who takes refuge in the king of Israel is blessed. And so blessing... It's about how we listen to God's Word and walk in those ways, but it's also about the way that God comes to His people and intervenes and delivers them. So both of those angles are important to understand what James means by blessing. Now, when does this blessing come? James is going to have us look forward to the future, but the reality of the blessings are already here as well. The focus in many of these texts is often on the present. That is, there is a... A reality now of fellowship with God, of goodness, of fullness of life, even in this age, whenever we walk according to God's word. And yet the fullness of that blessing is yet in the future. And so both of those things are in view here. We persevere in our belief now, which means we are among the blessed that the scriptures speak about. But we look ahead to an even fuller day of blessing in the future. And as we bring these together here in James 1.12, one of the things we see in this text and throughout James is that blessing is correlated to keeping God's commands. And we will see this is a countercultural message. Blessing is correlated to keeping God's commands. We see it in James 1.25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres in it not being a forgetful hearer, but being an active doer, that person will be blessed in his doing. This law of liberty that James talks about a little bit later, think of the law of God as it points us to Christ, as it is fulfilled in Christ. James is calling us to persevere in obedience, to demonstrate our faith in God and in His Word by persevering even when it is difficult. And this correlates to blessing. Now, as I say, this is a, an amazingly countercultural message. Blessing doesn't come 
from listening to ourselves, from listening to our own desires, but it comes from listening to God's Word. Blessing doesn't come from self-indulgence or self-interest. That is a worldly message. Instead, blessing in Scripture comes through self-denial and holiness. That's a different approach than the world gives us. James is presenting us a different way of living, as Jesus does as well. The way of blessing is the way of conformity to God's Word. So the way of blessing, first of all, is a, the life of blessing is a life of faith in God's Word. Let's move on and consider a second aspect of this text. And we've already seen it. The, the life of blessing perseveres in faith when it is difficult. There's a perseverance here. The life of faith perseveres in blessing when it is difficult. Notice that this text mentions a test. James helps us here. We need to be assured of God's blessing whenever it doesn't feel like we're being blessed. Often our faith in this age will be tested because James will teach us that valuable faith is tested faith. This is one of the principles that he is trying to explain to us. And often to follow God's word, to persevere in obedience, means it will cost us something. And James wants us to be sure that when we make sacrifices to obey God's word, when our faith is tested and we continue to trust God, we will be blessed. What James has in view here is persevering in trial when it is hard and trusting God in faith when it is difficult. This term trial is an important one, and it could be translated test, it could be translated trial, it could be translated temptation. It's the same word. And it just depends on the context as to how you translate it. And now trials and temptations in Scripture are often very closely related. We can be tempted even to test God. These three terms in English can all be in view depending on the text. But it helps us see that the trials that often tempt us to doubt God's word... When it seems easier to give in to sin, when it seems easier to listen to those around us and not to God's Word, those are tests of our faith. Now, we often think of trials as big things, big, these monumental events that we might face, and, and those are part of what would be in view here. But let's not relegate it only to a few large events. We could also think of the trials here as the daily decisions we have to make, the daily grind of faithfulness. One author called this uh, the long obedience in the same direction. The daily grind, every day, waking up, choosing to listen to God's Word, asking for grace to help, rather than listening to the voices of our age or the voices uh, that, that are bombarding us from different angles. Now, to do this, to trust God in an ungodly world, it will often cost us something. It could be social marginalization. It could be the fear of missing out. It could be any number of daily sacrifices that we make because we're pursuing faithfulness and holiness and purity and other-centeredness rather than self-indulgence. And this, again, is specifically a test of our faith. Will we continue to trust God when it is hard? That is what James is portraying for us here. Valuable faith is tested faith. 
And in this age, it will cost us something to obey God's word. The world tells us, you do you, you are enough, you have all that it takes. Entertainment leads us down ungodly directions. We are told to find what pleases us and makes life easy. Our flesh tells us to indulge whatever is easy or convenient. And marketing often feeds into this. Everything from blinds to chair mats tells us to get the ones that we deserve. That is contrary to the biblical message. It tells us we don't deserve good things, but God in His grace gives us those good things because He is a gracious God. And the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion would have us doubt God's goodness when things are hard. It is difficult in this age to continue daily to take one step in front of the other by faith. Our commitment to God's word in this age does not bring us a pat on the back from the world, does it? To seek the blessing of God, to seek to please God will cost us something in this age. But James would have us see that the rewards are worth it both in the near term and the long term. Both of these are in view. Now, as we talk about our response to God's Word and the way that we need to choose to live by faith, it can be easy in a text like this to miss the focus on Christ Himself. This life of perseverance and blessing, the life of listening to God's Word, this points us to our Savior who has gone before us. Jesus Himself faced temptations. We know about them from the Gospels. He faced trials. He faced difficulty because of His faithfulness to God's Word. He was tempted to make things easier, to indulge His flesh, to find a shortcut, uh, to ask God to serve Him. But He remained steadfast. He is the ultimate man of Psalm 1 who did not trust in, or who did not listen to the scoffers of this world, but who trust in God's Word. And when Jesus teaches us to pray... Lead us not into temptation. Maybe that's an opportunity again, even there, to remember our Savior who went into temptation and fought the devil on our behalf. So on the one hand, Christ shows us what it looks like to be faithful in the midst of an ungodly world. He has proven perfectly faithful where we will fail consistently. And yet He not only shows us what it looks like to be faithful... He has actually gone before us and walks with us as our Savior as we seek to walk the path of faith. And maybe you've heard or seen shows about these rock climbers. They call it free solo, where you climb up a rock wall, maybe like this, maybe even more sheer than that. And they, they climb these massive really mountains of rock with no ropes and no nets. And it's an amazingly impressive athletic accomplishment, but it's not a good illustration of the Christian life. We're not without a net. We're not without a rope. We're not on our own. We're not mavericks out by ourselves. James is not teaching us that we just have to buck up and do better. By focusing on our faith, again, testing of faith, he's helping us see that we need something beyond ourselves. Faith not in ourselves, But that faith is focused externally to ourselves, preeminently on Christ Himself. We don't trust in God abstractly. 
We trust in God through Christ, our Savior who has gone before us. So don't miss in this passage that the blessed man who perseveres is ultimately Christ himself, who does not leave us to hang on our own. Well, let's look a little bit more now at the goal in front of us in this text. So the life of blessing is a life of faith in God's word. It's a life that perseveres even when it is hard. And thirdly, the life of blessing yields the gift of everlasting life. It yields the gift of everlasting life. And here we have it in James 1.12, a bedrock of unwavering gospel hope. Why are we ultimately blessed? Well, on the one hand, as I've said, we are blessed here and now, in this age, inasmuch as we follow God's Word. But ultimately, we see we are promised here future blessing, encapsulated here with crown of life, which is a way to speak of eternal life, when we are delivered from the trials of this life and granted the everlasting crown of life. So the crown of life is the the gracious reward of God for those who trust in His Word. It is eternal life. It is the fullness of fellowship that God promises His people. It is never fading. It never perishes. It does not rot and rust in the way that the biblical authors explain it to us. It is a permanent blessing for the one who perseveres. James here is reminding us that God delivers on His promises. He will not cast out those who come to Him in faith. Do you think about the promises of God in Christ? In 2 Peter, we are encouraged to think about the promises. The promises of God should encourage us to keep believing and moving forward. We should remind ourselves of what Scripture promises. We should thank God that His promises are good, that they are true, that they are certain because He is in control and He can deliver on His promises. We can thank Him, for example, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And here in James 1.12 specifically, we see the promise that Jesus will give those who love Him eternal life. Now, I've said Jesus promises to give us eternal life. The the text is not clear who gives this crown of life. And most English translations say God, and it may be. But if you look at other texts in the New Testament, Jesus clearly gives the crown of life in texts like Revelation 2. And so most likely Jesus is in view here, but it really doesn't matter in the end because we are speaking of the Trinitarian work of God. To say that God gives us the crown of life, to say that Jesus gives us the crown of life, either way, we are speaking of the bedrock promises of God that do not change. And if it is Jesus who gives us the crown of life, it may be another way that we see Jesus in this text. But the crown of life is granted based on what Christ himself has done. It's not based on our ability to persevere. It's a gift that we are granted by faith because of what Christ has done for us. Now notice too in this text, really important I think here, to see that eternal life is for those who love Him. For those who love Jesus. Faith in Christ is another way to speak about love for Christ. This is what Jesus Himself says 
in John 14 and 15. If we love Him, we will do what He commands. James holds those together for us. It is so easy to separate love from obedience. But in the biblical worldview, in a text like James, we see that obedience and faith and love are not separate categories. They are intertwined. For James would have us see that to believe is to love. And to love is to obey. Too many try to separate these, but they are held together in Christ's own life perfectly. And they are held together as a model for us. To believe is to love, and to love is to obey. Well, as we move towards pulling these observations together on James 1.12, the blessing here is for those who walk by faith, for those who love Christ. The life of faith, James would have us see, and James sometimes has a, not the most exciting reputation for those who study the Bible, but James would have us see that life of faith and obedience is not a dry duty. It is done in love for our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who promises to give us a crown of life that we could not earn. Who in, James is encouraging us that even when it is hard, the perseverance yields a blessing on the other side and blessing in the midst of the difficulty as our faith is tested. This correlation that James holds out for us between uh, this correlation of, of commitment to God and love for God it may best be illustrated elsewhere in Scripture and just in our lives in the gift of marriage. How do you love someone? Well, you don't just love them when it is easy. You love them when it is hard. You choose to be faithful every day, even though it's hard sometimes. It's hard to love sinners to love one another in a fallen world sometimes. But we make promises and vows in marriage to do that. Now, sometimes it goes well, and it's easy to do, isn't it? But the sign of true commitment is when things get hard. And it's no accident that the New Testament presents marriage as an illustration of Christ and His church. In fact, it shows us the great mystery of Christ and the church. The unity of a husband and wife in a permanent marriage is one of the clearest ways we see pictured for us the faithfulness and commitment of Christ to His people. And the commitment of a husband and a wife also mirrors for us the commitment we are to have for Christ, the great husband of the church. And that's what James would have us see in this text. God has demonstrated beyond shadow of a doubt His goodness to us, His mercy to us in spite of our sin. James knows that we all stumble. He even says that. And yet he speaks of the grace in spite of our sin. In light of the blessings of God that he holds out for us, the question is, will we persevere? Will we continue to obey even when it is hard? James tells us we should, because this is the path of blessing. And if we love him, it's because he first loved us. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for the truthfulness of your word. We thank you for our Savior who goes before us and who loves us, who gave himself for us, that he might 
present us as a holy bride, spotless before you. Would you grant us the grace of your spirit to be strengthened in our daily walk and grant us a blessing both now and in the future. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.